1: fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and boy, do we have a lot to discuss today. And of course, it'll center around Justin Fields, who continues to shine and show us that the Chicago Bears have a quarterback. The Chicago Bears have a quarterback, and I don't care what some of the media in Chicago want to say, and say, well, Justin Fields isn't throwing enough passes in the fourth quarter, and Justin Fields isn't doing this, and Justin Fields isn't doing that. We'll get into that. But for now, let's embrace what Justin Fields is doing. Lawrence Holmes from The Score is going to join us here in just a little bit. A lot to get to with Lawrence. You know he's opinionated, he's great on football and we are gonna break down Justin Fields and I'm gonna ask him about his brethren in the media and how he's being covered. And look, I get it. Let's just start there, why not? Let's start with the media and their coverage of Justin Fields. Because what's funny is the usually with quarterbacks, right, the local media is the one fighting for Mitch Trubisky, going, oh, he's not as bad as he looks, he's not as bad as the national media makes it out to be, he's not as bad, bad, bad. That's usually what we get from the local media while the national media destroys our quarterbacks. But in this particular case, we've got the national media going gaga. It doesn't matter if it's from a fantasy perspective, Field Gates putting out the stat that Justin Fields has scored more points over the last four weeks to the the second most point score in, in the NFL. 45 thereabout points in fantasy more than number two. The separation from number two to 45 points lower than number two is like 57. Like Justin Fields is pacing himself that much more than the rest of the entire sport. So then you're gonna get people crapping on him and say, well, he's a running back because he's only thrown for 130 yards a game. Well, thank you for box score scouting. Come back to me when you've actually watched the football game and seen the game plan that Luke Getze has put out and the um the, the passing attack and what they're doing. So if you've got people who are arguing stupid, dumbass narratives from last year or the beginning of this year. Well, then you know they're not actually watching Justin Fields develop. They're not watching Justin Fields holding on to the football and not fumbling as much. They're not watching Justin Fields moving around in the pocket, buying time, having good pocket awareness and finding the receiver. We're not watching Justin Fields make dynamic throws. They're not watching Justin Fields find coverage that he likes at the line of scrimmage and telling receivers what to do. We're not watching just they're not watching Justin Fields change protections at the line of scrimmage and save himself from getting tattooed by a blitzing linebacker. They're not watching the games, they're looking at the box score. Now, would we all like to see Justin Fields throw for 250 yards and three touchdown passes? Well, absolutely, we'd like to see that. But we're not going to see that this year at least not often because of the situation that the Chicago Bears don't have anyone minus a couple people for Justin Fields to throw to. Now it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Chase Claypool moving forward as he learns this offense and uh, develops some chemistry with Justin Fields. But right now, Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet are the only guys that Justin Fields can throw to. And I put out some numbers on Twitter just to demonstrate that. When Justin Fields targets Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney, his yards, of, yards attempt 83 completing, 66% of his passes, first down rate of 36% if that's your thing, and which you need first downs if you're going to score. When Fields targets anyone else, 64 on the yards of attempt, 53% completion percentage, first down rate drops 11% to 25%. They don't have enough talent. It wasn't addressed in the offseason. We move forward. It's fine. Now they're trying to address it on the fly with Chase Claypool. Cole Komet has developed. And maybe we're getting to the point. Maybe Byron Pringle can actually start showing up on Sundays and helping this team. Maybe there's some people who can actually get some separation and catch the football from Justin Fields. But he hasn't had that. He's having slow receivers like Nikhil Harry who can't get separation. He's having guys like Vellis Jones being so inadequate and in dropping footballs and not getting open that they're now inactive. And who knows, if there aren't injuries to the receiving core, Vellis Jones may just be inactive the rest of the year because they may look at him and go, if you can't catch punts, if we have to have Dante Pettis active because you can't catch punts, then we can't have you as part of the active roster on Sundays. That's the type of people that he has to throw. The ESB, who, who drops key passes. These are the guys that Justin Fields has been throwing to. So when you want to criticize him and go, oh, he's not completing enough passes in the fourth quarter, then perhaps you should look at the entire picture and understand that, yes, he's not completing enough passes because he doesn't have anyone to throw him the football. Now, I think we're going to see those passing attempts increase because news came down, Khalil Herbert is injured. He is going to miss some time. And here's the thing. So the Bears sit there, you know, running the ball 40 times a game. They're not going to be able to do that without Khalil Herbert, right? David Montgomery cannot get 30 carries a game. If Justin's going to get, you know, eight, 10, 12 carries a game, fantastic. Even if you push uh, David Montgomery, 16, 17, 18 carries, they're not getting 10 carries out of Treston Emder. He's not good enough. You know, he just he just isn't there. He may never get there. That's fine. He's a third-day third draft pick, but he's not there now, and that's all that matters. So they don't have enough depth at the running back position, I think, to go out there against Atlanta and try and run the ball 40 times. I'm not saying they're not going to have a similar approach and use Justin Fields as a weapon, but I think absolutely they're going to have to have increase in pass numbers without Khalil Herbert. They just don't have enough people to run the football. So I think we're gonna see the passing uh, attempts go up and we'll get a better idea of where Fields is. Again, and getting a better idea of where Fields is in the passing game isn't necessarily gonna be reflected in the stats. It might be, but we need to see, is he making the right decisions? Are balls getting dropped? You know, what, what exactly is going into it? You need to look at the whole picture. And I talked to someone in the national media today who's like, slow down with Justin Fields and, and basically gave me box score numbers. I go, all right, you're now watching the Bears games. And that's fine. You got to watch 15 games a weekend. You're not paying attention to the Bears who have a losing record, fine. But don't sit there and tell me what I need to know about Justin Fields because you don't know because you're not watching the games and I'm watching the games twice a week. So don't tell me what's going on with Justin Fields and, and basically say he's just a running back because he's not a running back. And what's interesting is if you talk to guys in the NFL and we're seeing the quotes now who played Ohio State when Fields was there, they're sitting there going, he was this fast at Ohio State. He, he didn't run like this at Ohio. Like they, they, this is a different player than they're seeing. And this is fun and this is dynamic. And I'm not sure why. And there's Bears fans too that are not embracing this. Just embrace it. This team is bad. They don't have enough talent. Their defense is awful. They've got a few players in the secondary, but they still don't have enough cornerbacks. They've got two. They need three. Uh, and that's if you include Gordon as too. I do, I think there's enough potential there in, at the nickel position, but you know, they're not getting enough out of the cornerback position. They have no linebackers. Now Jack Sanborn, you know, that's, that's fun. Let's see if that continues and maybe he can be, you know, part of the team moving forward. I don't know if you just rely on him and just give him the mic position next year, but it'll be interesting to see what they think Sanborn is moving forward and the front four Justin Jones has looked pretty good in the last couple of weeks to me but other than that you need you need new edges you need a three tech you know as a, a strong, you need you you need every you need a redo in the front four you need linebackers you probably have the worst front seven in the NFL so you're going to need a lot of help defensively offensively you need offensive like there's not enough talent on this team Ryan Poles is flipping the roster, and when you flip the roster, you're going to have a lot of bad players, and that's what the Bears have right now. So, sitting there blaming Justin Fields because his receivers are dropping balls, his offensive line isn't blocking enough, and his defense can't stop anybody seems like a completely misguided and stupid way to analyze football games. But if that's what you want to do, you go ahead. Me personally, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to go, you know, I tweeted the day of the draft that I think Justin Fields will be the best Bears quarterback in the last 70 years. Meaning, Sid Luckman is at no worse the only quarterback that is going to be better than Justin Fields. And obviously, I you know, look, you compare ears, we can go into the whole history of the NFL thing. But what Sid Luckman did compared to his peers and how good he was is what I'm talking about. Justin Fields will be no worse than below Sid Luckman. He will be a better quarterback overall than what Jay Cutler was, than what Jim McMahon was, than what Mitch Trubisky was, than what Bill Wade was, Ed Brown. It doesn't matter. He will be better than all of them. And I have a feeling now he may be something special that we've never seen. Not never seen in Chicago, never seen. Like you're desperately seeing analysts look for who is the comp for Justin Fields? Who is the guy that we can compare him to? And of course, Lamar Jackson is the easy answer, right? Because that's what the, the the Greg Roman offense, and it's a little, we're seeing some aspects of that here with Justin. That's the easy answer, but that's not the right answer as far as I'm concerned. The answer to me about what Justin Fields can be as the comp, and you got to be a little bit older to appreciate this, is 1990 Randall Cunningham. 1990, Randall Cunningham was not appreciated in 1990 because 1990, the quarterbacks that we were looking at were Joe Montana and Dan Marino and Boomer Esiason and and guys that sat in the pocket. And you know look, just let's be frank, there weren't a lot of black quarterbacks. There weren't a lot of crazy athletic quarterbacks, black or white, it doesn't matter. Could John Elway get some yards? Sure. Could Fran Tarkenton scramble around in the 70s? Sure. Bobby Douglas of the Bears, horrible quarterback, but could he run around? Absolutely. But there weren't quarterbacks playing the position who were at this level of athleticism because the thought process back then, very antiquated as we know, is that athletes like Justin Fields shouldn't play quarterback. If they're going to play offense, they should be a receiver. They should be a running back. They should play on the defensive side of the football. The quarterback is just the guy who sits there, decides what to do with the football and throws it. That has changed over time. Randall Cunningham, you know, Vince Vince Evans and, and Warren Moon weren't, weren't those guys. Randall Cunningham was the first guy that came into the NFL. And we hadn't seen that in the NFL, what Randall Cunningham could do. The speed, the size, the athleticism, the arm talent. Randall Cunningham could throw the football 80 yards. Randall Cunningham was as fast as anyone on the offense. And he moved around in the pocket. And 1990, I believe he was runner-up for the MVP. And he had a dynamic year. Now, you go look up the stats, you'd be like, well, those aren't the best passing numbers I've ever seen. But those are 1990 passing numbers. That's 32 years ago. He was a dynamic football player. You know, when you hear people talk about the greatest video game players of all time, you hear about Bo Jackson and uh, Michael Vick and Madden, whatever it was, 05, 06, Michael Vick. Randall Cunningham in those old video games uh, you know, the, you know, uh, Joe Montana football and, and, and the early mad stuff that, that guy, I think they always call it Philly QB 12. He's one of those guys. He's unstoppable. He was at that level. You couldn't do anything to stop him. Now they didn't have enough talent around him. There were reasons the Eagles didn't win, but Justin Fields can be that guy, but be him every year. There is no comparison to what Justin Fields can be. He is strong, he can plow people over. You don't want your quarterback plowing people over all the time, but Josh Allen runs around like a fullback. Justin Fields, a big guy as well. He trucked a a defender this last weekend and put put him out of the game, concussion. So not only is Fields explosively fast where you can't catch him from behind, not only is Fields huge, but Fields is smart. He's learning the game of football. He has a great arm. Those deep balls are things of beauty with him. There's so much to be excited about. And you wanna sit there and break down Justin Fields' performance and say, this was great, this was great, this was great, but the pick six was a terrible decision? Yes, you can do that. You can be objective, but to sit here and we're still seeing it. This is gimmicky. He's a running back. He can't throw the football. He's not throwing enough in the fourth quarter. He's making mistakes. Of course he's going to make mistakes. He, he's played 20, 21 games in the NFL. Of course he's going to make mistakes. But why they're sitting there and dwelling on it is just mind-boggling to me. Now, in terms of the the, the rest of this team, this is what, you know, in the game against Detroit itself, look, the game was frustrating, and, and how many times do I have to tell you in this podcast I cheer for wins? And I get tank lost. They're three and seven. I think they're now the sixth or seventh pick in the draft right now. And now they're flirting with guys like Jalen Carter and Will Anderson that this defense desperately needs. So yeah, our loss is good for this team, sure, but our loss is that way good for this team where you blow a fourth quarter lead, you're you're being undisciplined, making some bad decisions, penalties. I don't think that's helpful in any regard, especially against a division rival who's bad. You know, it's not like you blew the game against the Minnesota Vikings, who's 8-1. and one. You blew the game against the Detroit Lions. And I understand that Bears fans the last couple of weeks want to complain about the refs. And the refs haven't been good. Chase Claypool, the pass interference against the Dolphins, that was a terrible no call. You know, even against the Packers earlier in the year when Fields got in, and they called him short, and they turned the ball over on downs. Bad call. Bad call, Eddie Jackson. Ghost call, cost the Bears an interception. And yes, you can make the argument that that cost the Bears the game. They would have had the ball back. Who knows? They could have, you know, potentially drained some of the clock, and, and, and maybe things would have been differently. But here's what I'll say, a- and, and I say this a lot, and I'm going to say it again. Let's look at this Minnesota Vikings Buffalo Bills game. And there's two things that happen that you got to you got to talk about. One. When Dalvin Cook lost three yards in overtime, Buffalo had 12 men on the field. When Buffalo made a key drive to keep the game alive, Gabe Davis made a diving catch. That was not a catch. Both those calls went against Minnesota. Who won the football game? The Minnesota Vikings. Because good teams overcome bad calls. Now, sometimes there's a bad call in the last play of the game, and it costs you the game, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I get that. Those things happen. But for the most part, when there are bad penalties in the third quarter and fourth quarter that go against your team, you cannot blame them for the loss because you had enough time to make it up. And good teams make up against those bad calls. And the Minnesota Vikings did against arguably who people thought was the best team in the NFL coming in. Maybe people still think that the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the NFL despite having a few losses under their belt. They're a very talented team. They're a great team. And they got calls going their way and the Minnesota Vikings still beat them because the Minnesota Vikings are a good team. So we can complain about the officials, but it doesn't matter because the Bears aren't good enough to overcome bad calls. So that's where the focus should be for me. I don't focus on the bad calls. I focus on the fact that the team cannot overcome bad calls and they still cannot overcome bad calls because they don't have enough talent. Now, while they don't have enough talent and they search for who's going to be a part of this roster moving forward... You sit there defensively and, and you can check off the names, Gordon and Brisker and Johnson and Jackson, and you know, Justin Jones gonna be around next year, maybe as a rotational player, maybe he's still starting four up front. And then you get to like Jack Sanborn, and sit there and go, what is the deal with Jack Sanborn? It's fascinating to me what's going on with Jack Sanborn. That was a dynamic game he played. He was, you know, he was the talk of good morning football. Peter Schrager going nuts about Jack Sanborn. Now this is a UDFA, who is finally getting an opportunity and he's flashing and he flashed in the preseason. He was a good player at Wisconsin. This is a good football player. You know what Jack Sanborn is, to use those cliches, he's a football player, right? Like John Madden with oh, Jack Sanborn, he's a football player. Like that's, and he's just, he's got instincts. He knows where he's supposed to be. He knows where the ball's going. He puts himself in a position to make the play because he can read an offense and know what's going on. You can't, undervalue, you, you can't overvalue that. that that is a, Those are great attributes to have. So when you sit there and go, well, he was an undrafted free agent because he's not fast or he's not this or he's not that, he doesn't have the traits, you know, you, you hear all that stuff. That may not matter with Jack Sanborn. Now, this may just be fun, right? This may just be Jack Sanborn's flashing for a few weeks and he's going to wind up being a backup linebacker and a special teams player. That may be what's happening because we know Detroit's not a good football team and, and, and he beat up a, a bad football team. We get that. So we'll have to see what happens with Jack Sanborn. Now he's definitely playing for a potential starting position next year, because when you're Ryan Poles and you look at this roster and go, all right, so we got a good secondary, but we don't have another, a Kindle Vildor, we can't go in the next year with Kindle Vildor as our outside corner. Or Kyler Gordon, because then what are we doing? A nickel. Kyler needs to go inside, consistently be a nickel. We need another outside corner. All right, that's one. We definitely need at least one linebacker. Let's see what Jack Sanborn's doing. But we need we need a weak side linebacker. Maybe we have our Mike. Nick Morrow's on a one-year deal. He's certainly not dynamic. He's fine. But we need another, we need a weak side linebacker. That's two. You need two edges. That's four. You need another defensive lineman. You need a dynamic three-tech. You know, I brought up Jalen Carter on past podcasts. So there you go. So that now you're you're up to five, maybe six guys you need. Now you're just on the defensive side of the ball. You go over on the offensive side of the ball you need at least two offensive linemen maybe three you need another wide receiver maybe two you need another tight end and suddenly you're sitting there going all right we need 12 13 new starters just to be competitive for a playoff spot you need 12 13 new starters new contributors out of what 24 25 when you talk about nickel and base and you know the come different personnel packages you need 25 26 is kind of your starting group the Bears need basically to overturn half their starters. It doesn't matter how much money they have. They're not going to be able to overturn all that. Maybe a lot, and they're going to have a few draft picks. Maybe they can get eight, nine, ten new starters. But they're still even going to have holes after next year because you just can't fix this roster in one off season. So maybe they'll sit there and go, we can't get a mic. We just don't have enough. So Jack Sanborn, you're going to be our middle linebacker. It's your job to lose. Maybe we'll bring in another veteran, someone better than A.J. Klein at this point, who can push Jack Sanborn for a potential starting spot. But maybe that's all you do. It'll be interesting to see. But I'll tell you what, Sanborn's a fun player to cheer for. And if he does win the linebacker position next year, you can bet your bottom dollar that there will be so many Jacks. Even if you got an old Olin Kruitz jersey, you're gonna put Jack Sanborn on the back of that jersey with some masking tape. There are gonna be Jack Sanborn jerseys at Soldier Field. Not only is he a local guy, but he is the type of scrappy football player that the city of Chicago loves. So we'll get into Sanborn, we'll get into fields, we'll get into the media coverage of fields, we'll get into all of it. With Lawrence Holmes of The Score, he joins us next. This is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Love having this guest on. He's given us great spots every time he's done it. And we've got plenty to dive into because this is a an interesting season that is developing for Bears fans. One of the most, you know, if you take away just big winning seasons like 2018, this might be the most interesting season we've had, you know, in, in recent memory. He is Lawrence Holmes. That's at Lawrence W. Holmes on Twitter, the midday host on 670 The Score. And you can read him now in the Sun-Times as well. He's a busy man, but he finds some time to join us now. Lawrence, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah, every Wednesday
0: in the Sun-Times I write and I usually write football. So it's it's fun to kind of be back and stretching out that muscle and and seeing if I can still put some words together.
1: Yeah, no, that I've I've checked out some of your pieces. They're great. They're informative and you know they're they're opinionated, which you which you gotta like. You know, you just you just don't need the straight news. You love opinions, and that's that's why we do these podcasts. That's why Absolutely. we have you on. And um, you know, let's dive into this Detroit game. And and you know, I've I've heard some of your takes that you've had throughout this season. I want to kind of get into those as well. But this Detroit game, look, it's tough. I know everyone can sit there and go, you know, tank win, it's great, because you know. Bears aren't making the playoffs and and I get, uh, you know, Jalen Carter and people like that are are looking pretty good at the top of the draft. But when you lose a game like that, it's it's difficult one to swallow, especially to a bad division rival like Detroit. So kind of what was your reaction there, you know, at about uh, three thirty central time on Sunday? My reaction was another
0: great performance by Justin Fields. And I really enjoyed the fact that he bounced back from the pick six that he threw to come right back and, and get those points back with a, a, a run. Of course, the extra point didn't go in. So that that was problematic. I don't like I don't mind them losing. Like, I'm not one of these people. It's like they got to win every single game. I don't mind them losing because I understand the benefit on the back end. That being said, in games where you have a lead, and in this case, it was a two touchdown lead over Detroit you would like to see them be able to close the game out. Whether we're talking about the defense making a big stop, which has not been the case this year for this Bears team, or Justin Fields just suffocating the, the other team's defense with offense. And it's, it's hard to blame the offense when they score 30 points and they've been averaging 30 points in, in a four-week span which is why I don't get overly emotional about them losing. But that was a game that felt like if you were a little bit better and a little bit more mature as a team, you win that game and you don't give the lions any life in the second half.
1: Yeah, no. And and that's the thing. And I, and this is, you know, this has been my consistent take for years is that I can, you know, look at it, look at the bears and go, all right, this is a bad team and they need a good draft pick, but that doesn't mean that on Sundays I'm going to be sitting there crossing my fingers that something goes wrong and the opponent wins. I'm always a guy who's going to cheer for the Bears and cheer for W's, but you can take a step back later and go, Well, that was, you know, th- those were positives, and, th- and they still get a loss, so they'll get a better draft pick. And you can rationalize it. But with this one, and, and I thought that's what was more frustrating in this regard was some of the things that that this coaching staff and this regime preaches is what broke down. The mistakes, the mental mistakes, penalties that were just crippling penalties. And I think, you know, Justin Fields aside, which we're we're obviously going to get into, but that's, I think, the most frustrating thing, and I'm sure was a focal point for this team, uh, you know, in those team meetings here coming coming out early part of this week, was that, you know, this is not who this Chicago Bears team is going to be, but that's who they were on Sunday.
0: Yeah, the hits principle, right? Like the the them them that being what Matt with Matt Eberflus is all about. We've seen slips in that throughout the season. You had the play where in Dallas with the Micah Parsons touchdown, where no one touched Parsons while he was down. That flies in the face of the hits principle. And you had silly mistakes. You you had a, a team that was getting penalized a lot. Now, a couple of those calls, a little questionable, but there were also some calls that didn't go the the that weren't called on the bears for some stuff that they were doing on offense. So all of it I think evens out, but you're right. Bill, they got to be better at even the talent level is clearly not there. Like we can all look at this roster and see that it's 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 not very robust with talent. But you can where you can make up for that is by playing the game in a a better fashion that kind of fits what Matt Eberflus is talking about when he talks about the hits principle. I, I I think that that's been one of the more disappointing things that we've seen from this Bears team this year. I, we get that you're going to get turned sideways on defense. You you don't have Roquan Smith. You don't have Robert Quinn. They probably need seven new guys on offense if we're being like honest on defense. I mean, the, the, if we're being honest, but they can still play the game hard and smart. And those are the things that Matt Eberflus wants to see this team do. And they just haven't been able to do that consistently enough on defense fields being so good and dynamic and making these incredible plays has, I, I used to work with Dan Hampton and he used to talk about, you know, like the success is the best deodorant and that's what's happening. Fields has been so good that, we're not talking about any of the other stuff because it's been outlandish right. the type of things that he's accomplished over the last month.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, and let's, let's start getting into Justin now because um, you know, I I'm, I'm with you on a lot of what was said. And the, I mean, the turnover on the roster is going to be immense uh, again, but, but, uh, and, and we'll get into that, but with fields here, uh, before we actually get into what we're seeing on the field, um, what you know as a member of the chicago media and one that's been you know opinionated um there are you know and you you talk about the success that fields has and we're not talking about other aspects of the team but at the same time there are some media members that are really trying to extrapolate only negatives it seems and focus on negatives and not really not just the amazing the 60 yard touchdowns runs and back to back weeks and some of this incredible play we're seeing but we're seeing growth out of Justin Fields as well. What, what is it with you as, as a member of the media? And I know your uh, radio partner has some choice words about that as well, about how the way Justin Fields is being covered by some in your profession. Um, I, I think that
0: I understand people who are covering this team every day. And they're like, well, wait, when's the, when's the next step? And I do think it's probably more reflective of the fan base than it is the actual media that are covering it from a local perspective. People get that this team is bad. And for the most part, the local media in Chicago has been prepping Bears fans for the team being bad. Like this is this True. is gonna get ugly. This team is not very good. Ryan Pace didn't leave Ryan poles. A lot of um, of of stuff inside the cupboard. When it comes to this roster and its composition, so I, I, my hope is that people are not like getting tired of seeing greatness from Justin Fields. I think what people want to see is, all right, what's the next barrier? What's the next thing that he can do that shows growth? But where we are in Week Eleven versus where we were talking about this in Week Five. It's night and day, man. It's night and day that there were people that were already like, "Up, oh, you know what? This isn't going to work out with Justin Fields. I give the Bears a lot of credit. I give Matt Eberflus a ton of credit. That 11-day period after they were embarrassed by, by Washington, he went to Justin Fields and said, what, what do you like? What do you need? And that's a distinct difference from what we've seen from coaches before. Going to your best player on offense, asking the best player on offense what he needs, and then tailoring work around that best player. And what's happened is, in the weeks after that, we've seen Justin Fields take off like a rocket. Now, people who are covering the team want to know, okay, clearly he's a playmaker. He's dynamic. He's being compared. Like, his success has been so good he's being compared to Devin Hester as far as electricity goes. Sure. You know, that guy gets the ball running downhill. You got a problem. And the Lions safety last week found that out firsthand. He tried to step up against Justin Fields at the goal line and got trucked, you know, like, and, and, and taken out of the game. So I think that people want to get to the next part of it. And there is a little bit of a rush. And I think Bill, honestly, like, I think it has to do with the fact that the team itself is so bad that you're trying to, to get to the next thing and figure out what else can he do now? I I personally would like to see him be able to convert all of this success that the bears are having in their run game to a more consistent pass game. I still don't, even though he, he's thrown the ball well, like if you look at the, the statistics and you see like his passer rating over the last month, it's good. He has been throwing for touchdowns. They have done stuff with Cole Komet and made him a real factor in this offense. But it's, I would love to see in this game against Atlanta, them throw the ball 35 times. I'd love to see it. I'd love for them to be like, look, Justin, go do your thing through the air this time. Don't worry about if you make a mistake. Don't worry about if you throw an interception. We want to win the game, but we want to win the game with you throwing us to a win. Atlanta's defense seems like it's the perfect host for for that to be something that you try more of. So I think there's a little bit of impatience because it's the only real good thing about what Bears football has been this season.
1: Yeah, I know. And I, I hear that. I, I hear. And, you know, what you're saying about passing more with the, against Atlanta, that may happen. I mean, Khalil Herbert just, just came down recently is going to IR and you're not going to be able to give David Montgomery 30 carries. So uh, maybe they, you know, Ebner's probably not it. So they, you know, they may rely on the passing game, but what, what I want to say about the passing game and, and I, I put these stats together uh, yesterday on Monday was that, you know, you talked about the dearth of talent on this team and and it is in, in several spots, including in certain spots of the offense. So I looked at numbers and these are season long numbers. This is not, you know, recently since fields has exploded, right. When fields targets commit and Mooney, his yards per attempt is 8.3 completing 66% of his passes and a first down rate of 36%. Okay. When he targets anyone else, Yards attempt drops to six point four. Oh my god! Completion rate fifty three percent. First down rate twenty five percent. I mean, it is a stark difference. Obviously, Claypool's barely you know scratched the surface here, and you know with 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 um, how many plays he's had with with Fields. But when you talk about you know, and and I know you talked about this a few weeks ago. I talked about it in the offseason about trying to surround a young quarterback like Fields with talent. Because, you know, he, you know, he needs that assistance as he learns and develops and polls chose not to do that other than the third round rookie, who's now inactive on game, game days and, you know, some, you know, pick at the corners with a Byron Pringle signing or trading for, for Nikhil Harry, things like that. And, and he didn't have enough sur- surrounding him. And you see, you know, commit who's coming into his own some here, and we know Mooney can be a player you see how much better he is when he looks their direction. So, you know, you you, you sit there and people say, well, he's not throwing well in the fourth quarter and this and and the pick six was terrible, which we're all going to agree that pick six was a terrible decision and a terrible throw by a second year quarterback, it's it's going to happen. But if they can get some talent around him, and I know they're going to have good draft picks next year, and I know they've got gobs of money, so I assume this is going to happen. If you infuse talent into this offense... I think the passing attack that that you know a lot of the media wants to see and and is the one thing that may still be lacking on the play calling from Getsy is going to get there if they can get this hell around him, which just isn't there right. like and that's kind of the
0: hard part in the evaluation process. Can you even really understand what he is if there are upgrades at receiver and upgrades on the offensive line? That was my concern before he went on this run of great games. And and he's shown that he can be a difference maker uh, in, in games. Now, I, I wonder, is is he evolving as a passer? That's like the big question. And can you really get a sense of it if he is thrown to Equinemius St. Brown or Amir Smith-Marset, who was cut. A couple weeks ago after some awful play uh especially in that minnesota, minnesota game. minnesota yeah oh oh that was rough that was real rough <laughs> how how do you go about getting fields where he needs to be as a passer that's the next frontier i think for for this front office and this coaching staff
1: yeah and and you know it's gonna it's gonna start with talent um and because that's the thing, I mean, you see, you're seeing growth, right? You know, uh, Dan Orlovsky pointed out, which I thought was good because what we've seen during this run with fields is he's only fumbled, you know, once and compared to the amount of fumbles he's had before and Orlovsky well, point. Well, uh, wait, oh.
0: wait, he's only lost one. He's actually fumbled a little bit and they've had some good fumble luck. Like uh, what game was it? Uh, it wasn't Miami's was the game before Miami. I think he fumbled in the game four times.
1: Four I mean, one of them, though, was a pitch to Montgomery, and Montgomery right. dropped it, but Fields gets credit for the fumble there.
0: Right, but I mean, like, even that is – I wonder if that can – if that sustains itself. He, But he's such a good ball carrier. I understand the point that you're making.
1: Yeah, and and but like Orlowski pointed out, like, Fields, when he was moving around in the pocket looking for someone buying time, weaving in and out of defenders, two hands on the football. Like, he's got more ball awareness – in terms of, you know, making sure it's secure, making sure it's not, you know, being held out there like a loaf of bread. And, you know, that has reflected well, you know, making calls at the line and seeing he's going to have Mooney one-on-one and saying, all right, Darnell, go route, and I'm going to hit you. And it it, it didn't, you know, uh, that was two weeks ago. He didn't, he didn't complete it. He overthrew him just a touch, but those are the type of things reading, seeing when he's got advantages against the defense That's where I'm seeing growth as a, as a passer. And, you know, when St. Brown drops a ball, you know, on fourth down, when he's trying to bring the ball down the field and people say, well, Justin Fields couldn't get it done in the fourth quarter. I said, well, Justin Fields didn't get it done or the offense didn't get it done. There are Mm -hmm. two distinct differences. Um, But, you know, in terms of growing Fields into next year, offensive line is definitely going to be a point that's going to be readdressed from Ryan Poles. So based on what you've seen from the offensive line this year, I think Tevin Jenkins isn't going anywhere at right guard. Hopefully his, his, his back holds up and he, you know, he stays healthy, but where are you with Braxton Jones? Where are you with Cody Whitehair? Uh, You know, the center position, what other players would you like to see back and replaced as they re as they assess this offensive line moving forward?
0: I mean, I get that they, that Braxton Jones is one of their projects. So they want to see him, out there more i'm okay with that except for that it puts the quarterback in peril um, because he hasn't been very good at left tackle larry borum has struggled both both of those guys have had issues with bull rushes and people getting shots on the biggest shots that fields has taken has have been the ones he's gotten in the pocket i I don't imagine outside wow i mean I'm trying to think like, I I don't know if anyone other than the center is going to be the offensive line for Justin Fields when the Bears are thinking they're a contender to win the division or make the playoffs. So that includes Tevin Jenkins for you. I It's weird, Bill. I like Tevin Jenkins. I, I love what I've seen from him this year. Just love it. I feel like they don't. Like it
1: certainly felt that way in August.
0: Yeah, and and honestly, like the way that they talk about him, like I I don't know if that's just polls as mo. Like if he likes to keep people like on edge to maybe get the best out of them. I don't know, but I I feel like Tevin Jenkins has worked out and that he's been their best offensive lineman. I just think that they'll probably always be looking to upgrade from him because they didn't draft him. And I don't know what happened in, in the spring and in the summer with him, but it, it doesn't feel like it was um, productive. Um, and, and good for him for playing his way out of the doghouse. Like, I give that, that young man a lot of credit for understanding that the task was going to be difficult and and saying, all right, yeah, I wasn't drafted at this position, but I'll I'll work my ass off to make myself better and I give him all sorts of credit. So I, I don't know, though. I, I think that they 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 need to improve so much in so many places. It's going to be difficult. I mean, I don't even know if David Montgomery's on this team when they think they're good. You I know, like a definite
1: possibility,
0: right? Like the, Darnell Mooney will be here and maybe Chase Claypool will be here. But the question I have about Claypool is, Pittsburgh is in a similar situation They're, They, they have a young quarterback and it seems like you have a really good prospect wide receiver on one side of the ball. You would want to balance that out with another decent wide receiver on the other side. And they seem like we can do better with the second round pick than having chase Claypool here. It's not like the Steelers make personnel mistakes, you know, like th- that's one of that's one of those franchises that doesn't really mess those things up. So I, I keep wondering, like, did the Bears pay too much for Chase Claypool? And is and is he in the long term plans?
1: I mean, I, I think they they want him in the long term plans You give up a two. You know, you want him in the long term plans. But I, Hell I, I yeah, do, I, I do Especially the, the number two that they gave up. Right. Yeah. Not the Ravens. They gave up the, the higher, higher ones. So that's right. I, I, I agree there. And here's what I would say about the tackles. I think if you said, all right, you have to bet your entire year salary on one position that they are going to 100% get in free agency. I think it's a right tackle. I think that I, I could not see them not addressing that. I think that's going to happen. Now, I don't know if they'll they'll go get a left tackle in free agency, but I do think if they're sitting with the seventh or eighth pick of the draft and the number one tackle, you know, whoever that ends up being, you know, Skaronsky or Paris Johnson or whoever it might be, you know, if that tackle is sitting there at seven and Polls is sitting there going, you know, all right, I just signed, you know, whoever McGlinchey, whoever for four years on the right side, I could have this guy on the left side for 10 years. I don't think Braxton Jones is going to stop them from that decision, but they I don't know if they're going to actively look to replace him, but if the opportunity presents itself, I think they would. I, I think
0: that they should, considering their amount of money they have with the cap and the draft capital they have, it would be um, a dereliction of duty if they don't look to at least bring in legitimate competition at left tackle. Yeah,
1: I look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue that point. I'm just trying to trying to get in the head of Ryan Poles and what he's gonna do because like you said, there's a lot of holes and a lot of those holes are on defense. So I just want to quickly do defense before I let you go. Okay. Um so obviously their best players are in the secondary, they still could use another outside corner. Uh, coming going into next year, but the front seven, I think it's very hard to argue that it's not the worst front seven in football at this point. I know Justin Jones has played well the last couple of weeks. Justin Dan- Jones
0: has been he's been pretty good, like all season long. I've enjoyed what I've seen from him as a fallback position to Larry Ogunjobi. I think they did
1: all right. Yeah, I think they did all right there. But look, they need they need edge guys. They need a a, dy- a dynamic three tech. They need linebacker help. So what I'll ask you here is, you know, kind of your thoughts on how the secondary is played overall and the follow up there. Also Jack Sanborn, is this just Ah. something that's fun and let's just enjoy it? Or, I mean, we know he is a football player, right? That's just one of those guys. He is a football doesn't matter what he, his RAS score is. It doesn't matter, you know, how fast he is. He just knows how to play football Is Sanborn a guy you look at and go, this is just fun. We'll, we'll enjoy it while it lasts. Or, you know, or is this a pay? This guy might be one of the linebackers in 2023. I want to give the young man a
0: chance because every chance that he's gotten, whether we're talking about preseason or regular season, he's popped. He's popped on film. And he did in this past game against Detroit a couple of times. There was the interception that was called back that he made. Off of what what looks like a phantom penalty, he had the two sacks. I think he's smart, and I think that he wants to learn. That's the type of linebacker in the middle of of Eber four three that could work. He's not tremendously gift gifted from an athletic standpoint, but sometimes, especially if you're a middle linebacker in today's NFL, you can make up with it if you know where you're supposed to be, you can get there faster. Because you know where you're supposed to be. And, and making sure that when you hit people, they stay hit. I I hope that Sanborn, I, I think he, I think Sanborn for sure is a guy that fits on an NFL roster. And when you're talking about undrafted free agents, seventh round picks and undrafted free agents, it that's what we're talking about. We're talking about can that person make it to their next contract? And I think Sanborn has already put enough on tape in the limited time that he's been out there for some team to be like, you know what we, we can have a guy like that. And maybe that team is, is the bears and maybe it's the same type of thing of they're looking to upgrade it, but it's not a priority because they know kind of what he is and what he is is seemingly like solid NFL player. As for the rest of the defense, Brisker has popped. A couple of times in games, like he's made big plays in games. Gordon, I think, is still trying to find his way, and it's difficult. Being the nickelback is difficult. Um, they ask you to do so much, and these offenses are running a lot of 11 personnel. You're being run ragged. Like People are getting smart about, oh, well, I'll just put my best receiver in the slot, and I'll take advantage of the mismatch that is there. But Gordon's been, like, he's been okay. I I don't think that I've seen anything that I've seen in the Dallas game. He got abused a little bit, and I did see some recovery from that that I thought was good. But there hasn't been anything where Brisker has a couple of wow plays. I don't think that the same can be said for Kyler Gordon uh, on balance. But I still like both of them, and I want to see them grow. Uh, Jalen Johnson, to me, is one of the best corners in the league. And I know that he's going through some stuff right now with his oblique, which makes him less effective. But I do think that if you're the Bears, you feel pretty good that you have a solid back four. Okay? Now, it's, are those guys made better by a pass rush? And you got, (laughs) like, that's a, we're talking about priorities and free agency in the draft. You got to go get some people. I don't know if it's Will Anderson or whoever, but you've got to go get some people that can put some pressure on the quarterback because your guys are having to cover for four and a half, five seconds. They're not going to win. You can put Dion back there. He's not going to win. If, if you're not getting to the quarterback, if the ball's not coming out. So that's got to be a thing that they do. They've got to pay real close attention to this. They've got to find, they've got to find a weak side linebacker that can, that can go. and, I personally wasn't a big fan of the trade of of Roquan Smith. I don't think that they gave him enough time. Quite honestly, I feel like the sample size in a new defense was really short. And I would have preferred them to play this whole thing out and see where it goes from a contract standpoint. But I get the idea of, you know what, we don't don't see it. So let's go get a, a draft pick for this player.
1: But that defense needs a lot of help. Yeah. The defense needs a lot of help. And we, we, we address what it was uh, with, with fields as well. So there he is. Lawrence Holmes at Lawrence W Holmes on Twitter. That's Lawrence with a U and make sure you catch him on the score. I'm sure you do already. And in the sun times on Wednesdays, Lawrence, thanks for so much time. Really appreciate it. Bill, anytime, man. Thanks a lot. There he is. Lawrence Holmes, everybody. Plenty to get into with Lawrence. That was a good conversation. And look, I think I think Lawrence has done a really good job being objective here with Justin Fields, where, yes, do you get excited about everything you're seeing, but you understand, sure, there's still some few limitations in the passing game. Sure, there's no talent around him. Sure, the defense can't stop anybody. So let's look at the whole picture and understand that Justin Fields, this is not the NBA where one guy can go off for sixty five points and win a game single handedly This is the NFL where you have 22 starters, and you need help. And Justin Fields has very little of it at this point. But I thought that was a good conversation. I, I think you know Lawrence was has been similar with me on the thoughts about how Ryan Poles addressed his first offseason. But again, you move past that. This is the roster that was dealt. This is what Justin Fields is doing with said roster. So you analyze what's in front of you, and you look at what this team needs moving forward. So, I look at this game coming up against Atlanta, and Atlanta is a bad football team that is very well coached. I think Arthur Smith is getting a lot out of this team. He's getting a lot out of Marcus Mariota. This offense, you know, doesn't appear like an offense that should be putting up 30 points a game, but when you play the Chicago Bears defense, you know, Kyle Pitts and, and Drake London and, and you know, Cordarrelle Patterson even, you know, they could have big days because we know what this defense is. So with Justin Fields on offense, and in a situation where Khalil Herbert is on IR and he's going to miss the next few games at a minimum, what are they going to do at you know with Justin Fields at this point? I think it's a fascinating thing. Are you still going to try and stick with the same offense even though you don't have Khalil Herbert or are you going to tweak things a little bit and let Justin Fields throw the ball? Look, he's throwing the ball basically 20 times a game. Are you going to basically turn Khalil Herbert's runs and the Justin Fields passes are you gonna get Chase Claypool out there a little bit more? What is going to happen there? You know, that this Chicago Bears team, if Justin Fields plays like this the rest of the year, you can't sit here and go, this team's gonna go three and 14. I just, they're gonna find some wins somewhere. Atlanta is definitely one of those wins. The Jets, I think, I know the Jets are playing well, but the Jets, I think, is winnable because that Jets team is all about the defense. And if Justin Fields can, can beat that defense, then that's going to open things, games up there. Obviously, they got another game of Detroit. I don't care if it's in Detroit. We know Detroit's beatable, so they're going to find one, two, maybe three more wins. I don't think they're going to go on a, a run. I don't think they're going to end up going eight, nine, nine and eight kind of a thing. They're, I don't see that happening. But can this team go five and twelve? You know, six and eleven? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to find some wins, and I think Atlanta is a possibility now, based on the fact that how poorly this defense has played, and you know, unfortunately, how undisciplined this team looked last week against Detroit, you know, when I sit here and go, all right, I'll give you my prediction for the game. I am not going to sit here and call a win for Atlanta. If game was in Chicago, I'd probably be singing a little bit of a different tune, but I do think this one is still going to be with the bears in a loss column. It's just hard to, this team with how good fields is playing is still just finding ways to lose and whether that's be a drop pass you know a, a missed a miscue on defense. You know you know just not being able to stop anyone like Dallas. It's just not there's just not enough there to sit there and and objectively pick the Bears. So get into this one. I do think Atlanta's going to score some points. There's no reason to think the Bears won't score some points. But again, I'm hoping maybe it'll result in in a little bit less of a dynamic offense. But I am really hoping that the Chicago Bears. Go a little bit less in the run attack, a little more bounce, open it up on the passes a little bit more. And and maybe that'll open up an opportunity for Justin Fields to maybe throw for 240 and run for 80, you know, something like that. I'd love to see something like that this week. Now, we'll see if it happens. We'll see what Luke Getze has in mind against this Atlanta Falcons team, which. From a talent perspective, maybe a little bit more on the field than the Chicago Bears, but I don't think it's, it's, it's a massive difference. I think the Falcons are in the bottom seven or eight in terms of total talent on the field right there with the Chicago Bears. So we're going to call this one Atlanta 33, Chicago 27. That's what we're going to go. Now, we had a 31-20 last week. And if we had had the the Bears getting that extra point, then at least we would have had overtime. But, you know, so we've been pretty accurate here. These last couple weeks got a pretty good vibe of what this team's going to do. So we're going to say 33-27 Atlanta. We'll see if I'm right. And we will talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.